high net worth people, this is real money you save. If you get four business class seats for your family to the Mauritius or the Maldives, you are really saving 15, 20,000 pounds of cash. Through a big financial service incident, if you think you understand premium for customers because you've got a premium banking division and premium banking yeah. brands, you do not if you think they're exactly like any other credit card member. And all you do is completely and utterly destroy those super valuable relationships. You can, you can think you can break this down to spreadsheets and tables, and it's not like that. You know, a degree in psychology is probably better than a degree in maths when it comes to actually putting together a decent reward program. Hi, I'm Ian Pringle. This is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty. We help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this episode, we'll explore how programs can work with rather than against hyper-collectors. So to help me with this, I'm joined by a great poacher and a great gamekeeper. So please, can I welcome Rob Burgess, editor of Head for Points. Hi, Rob. Hi, Ian. How are you very well, thanks. And uh, Alan Lias of New World Loyalty and previously VP of Customer Loyalty at Virgin Atlantic. Hi, Alan. Hi, Ian. Hi, Rob. Brilliant. So to get us started tonight, Rob, can you please talk us through a brief introduction to yourself and Head for Points and sort of where your journey started into hyper-collecting and then that led to Head for Points? Yeah, I whew, I mean, I'm in my 50s now, so it's going on quite a bit. I went into investment banking after university and as in many investment banking jobs, there was quite a lot of travel involved in that. And yeah, the, 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 your typical banker, analyst type person is the same sort of person who likes getting his head around frequent flyer charts and the ins and outs of these programs and seeing how to maximise what they can get. I joined Flytalk back in 2004, looking at my account. So I was 10 years into my banking life then. This all carried on quite happily until 2011 when I left banking, uh, sort of post Lehman crash and post disintegration of what I used to do. And I was looking for something else and I was 40 and I didn't really want to work for somebody else again and the mortgage was paid off. And I thought there was a gap in the market for a good, serious UK-based frequent flyer website. You've got sites like Business Traveller, which are excellent in what they do, but they're very internal looking. A lot of the readers are actually other people in the travel trade. There wasn't something that was read by people who were genuinely out there doing a lot of business travel. And, and so Head for Points came into being, which is effectively 50% general business travel news, flight reviews, hotel reviews, but also 50% about making the most of your frequent flyer miles and hotel loyalty points. And really helping people, helping people do travel a lot, make the most of the miles and points. What we find is that people who travel a lot for business, fly business class, stay in nice hotels, want to do the same in their private lives as well. And they like to use the site to find the best way of taking their partner off for a business class holiday or staying in the same hotel as they stay in for business without actually paying the prices. And we've... We're growing that for 10 years now. Uh, we have an office in the city. There's two full-time staff alongside myself. We'll do 25 million page views this year on the website. And what, what makes it work commercially is that these people are basically these sort of British Airways silver and gold card base. And that means they are relatively well-off London professionals, which makes them very attractive to advertisers, especially the credit card companies. 
No, fantastic. And can you talk me through some examples of the deals you've had? So some of the best collection activities you've had over the, you know, as talking to you as a hyper collector rather than talking to you as a yeah. journalist. I think the biggest single one I ever did was one million Avios from a Lloyds Bank promotion. This is going back about eight years now. Lloyds had an offer where if you got the got their MasterCard at the time, which earned Avios then, you got 10 times the Avios for the first three months, I think, if I remember rightly. So what I did was I... I mean, this card also gave double points for foreign currency spending. So I got the card and I whacked through £40,000 of refundable foreign spend, which, because I guessed how the Lloyds Bank IT system would work, which is if I refunded <laughs> these transactions after the, after the deal had ended, it would only take away one lot of Avios and not the 10 times. Right. As it turned out, it was even better than that because when you refunded the transaction, it took away nothing. <laughs> so I actually, so I put £40,000 of refundable hotels and flights through, waited a couple of months, re- took, took the million Avios, refunded it all. I was careful about the exchange rates, so I just re- got the timing right on those. Took a million points off that, which kept me going for a long time. Fantastic. Um, and, and what about redemption? Have you, got, have you got any examples of some amazing redemption deals you've had? We've done, we've done very well over the years. I mean, my, my kids, bless them, have never flown anything apart from business class long haul, which is slightly worrying. And my daughter's 14 now. So, but uh, oddly enough, some of the biggest ones have probably been over the last year or so for hotels. I mean, hotel rates have shot up so much post-COVID with a lot of hotels shutting off a lot of their rooms or the simple, simply jacking up rates to your demand. I mean, I was in New York the Park Hyatt this summer, it was $2,000 a night, astonishingly, in that place, which I got for 40,000 Hyatt points. Uh, I was at St. Regis in New York on a separate trip. Again, that was $1,500 a night, I think, which was a 60,000 Marriott point redemption. We're at Almar in Dubai, actually, in the Marriott Desert Resort at the end of October. That's going to be... It's, it's almost two people Marriott points I'm getting when I redeem for that. Wow. So there, there's a lot of value out there at the moment. Um, how long this lasts, I don't know. But but what is useful is that obviously British Airways now Virgin Atlantic have a guarantee on the number of Avios seats, a, a minimum guarantee of the number of seats per flight now. Yeah. So it's now very possible to get seats as long as you you know what day they'll be released, you know what time to ring up to book them. You can now get seats even on super peak flights. I mean, historically, the best thing I've ever done, oddly enough, is British Airways economy to Salzburg for February half term. We normally go skiing then. Even before COVID, it was a, those were £500 return economy flights over February half-term week. Uh, next year, it's looking it's going to be more like £700-£800 economy return to Salzburg if you have to go Saturday to Saturday over half-term. And I've got those in for, I think, was it 9,000 Avios? Might be 15,000 Avios. Yeah, I've, I, done that, I, I've done that three or four years now. I've, I've done exactly that same redemption fantastic. for the boys' ski trip. Yeah, exactly yeah. that same one. Yeah, it's so because it's it, it's outrageous. Um, yeah, and you have to go. You have to go on a certain date, and you have to come back on a certain day. So there's no real flexibility in it. Those are some fantastic value, and I think you're That's right. There, there is amazing value out there on both sides of the coin. Sometimes, if it's too good to be true, it is, and th- and that's also why I like your approach because you you recognise the that this is a commercial venture, mm. and that that the the you, you know you don't you never suggest things on head for points that is is commercial suicide you know like f- redemptions over christmas and things like that i think you do recognize that it is a commercial venture although you also recognize that there's sometimes opportunities in that <laughs> yeah I, I think 
my city background means that I understand the commercial economics behind all this. I understand where people are coming from on that basis. I also don't take it desperately seriously because it's not, it's not, you know, I mean, people enjoy what we write and I get many, many emails from people saying I managed to book the holiday of a lifetime because you just told me that British Airways had dumped a lot of Avial seats to the Maldives on the market's day and I got what I wanted. So we got a lot of good feedback like that. But mm. we also understand, you know, this is not brain surgery. We're not curing world poverty. And we, we like to approach it in that way. We, you know, we, we don't start nasty tirades of uh, abuse of people who don't, you know, if we have to go to hotel and don't upgrade it or anything. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, at the end of the day, it's, it's a fun, enjoyable hobby for our readers. But, you know, a hobby is what it is in the main. Exactly, exactly. And Alan, from a from a program perspective, what's your experience of of uh, hyper collectors? I think it's interesting the the sort of t- really touching upon the point Rob just made about the economics. Hyper collectors are super profitable for the airline and the program, which is great news. Maybe some of the partners struggle to make money out of it, particularly credit card partners, because of the way the economics are are are, are geared, particularly post interchange regulation changes which basically took a little bit of money out of the system particularly for those people that spend and don't revolve but yeah i mean from a pro i mean airline pro intern you know if you weren't running an airline program as as you and i have ian there's always a tension between the program and the business particularly around rewards and availability but the one thing we can all agree is how important hyper collectors are and in terms of so the, so the economic side of them, they're, they're, we're all chasing the same people. And you can see many decisions around the world, program decisions around motivating, incentivizing hyper collectors um, by even giving them even more miles. You know, Delta were yeah. the first one to do this about 12 years ago when they paid up to 11 miles per dollar spent for their elite members who happened to be flying in the front with, with massive extra benefits if they carried the co-brand in terms of being able to requalify quickly, more quickly. Uh, for elite status so we've seen sort of extreme behavior around chasing and so programs obviously are very interested in these customers but from that from the customer's perspective themselves I mean there's lots of different types of hyper collectors some actually fund their business expense through hyper collection yeah they they run businesses and they're usually businesses that they run themselves because there's not many people that will use air miles for an airline ticket that their business would buy them if they're if they're not running the company so you've got those people that actually see it as a serious opportunity to cut their T&E. And then you've got another segment, which I suppose people like me, I'm not, not that I've ever earned enough to be a hyper collector, but I know the angle. So I've got to do some balances here and there. But people like me who are saving up their miles for retirement. And to Rob's point about if you know when to book and where to go and you're flexible, what a fantastic nest egg that uh, those customers are building. And and again, it's it's it's, it's like it's I mean, we've said it many times, Ian. You know, the beauty of airline loyalty is everybody wins. You know, the the airline, the customer, the partners, because there's a, there's a unique ability to attract high value customers. So, and then the payoff is is wonderful. So, yeah, uh, yeah, we're we're all you know. I just wish I'd earned more in my life so I could <laughs> add more points. But yeah. but do you think there's a there's, there's slight nuances to this? I think there's I would put them into sort of three buckets. And and I, I was I'm only thinking aloud here, so there may be more buckets than this. There's kind of, if you take unusual behaviours, and Alan, I remember when we did some things on, when we did some analysis previously on on the, the bell curve of a loyalty programme, it's never a bell curve. It's a bell curve that goes up and down and then there's a tick at the end and the tick at the end are hyper collectors. So you can see it. You can absolutely see it in the database. 
And those outliers, I think, are driven, I think, in three buckets. There's gaming. So there's people that are, I think a good example of that was what you were saying before, Rob, about, about you're not, it, it's not fraud, it's, it's, it's playing the system, yeah? Mm. Um, and then there's sort of maximizing. So a good example of maximizing for me would be that I register on Cardlinked Offers my wife's credit cards. She doesn't know that, probably best not keep that between ourselves. But when she, <laughs> when she spends at Waitrose, it turns up on, on, on our account. Okay, um, which is probably, given how much she spends in Waitrose, it's probably a good idea for us. <laughs> um, but I, I call that sort of maximising, and your and and Headford Points deals with both of those types of characters, doesn't it, Rob? Yeah, I think if we look at how I would define a hyper collector, I, I think what I would see as a hyper collector is not driven by the amount of miles earned, but about the number of partners they're earned from. Yeah. I know many people who spend £100,000 a month on Google advertising for their business charged to a credit card. They will earn seven figures a year of miles, but that doesn't make them hyper-collector if that's their only real source of mileage. In the same way that someone who does you know, three flights to New York a month, they'll also earn 100000 miles a month, but are they a hyper-collector? Not necessarily. And they're not really the sort of people who the advertisers on my site want to reach either. They want to reach the people who are willing to alter their behavior on a different product if there is a suitable mileage incentive offered. Uh, we're in some advertising for Avis this week. They're offering nine RVOs per pound if you book a car rental for even. They're advertising with us because they know that we have tens of thousands of readers who, if they need a car in the next couple of weeks, will be incentivized by that to potentially book it with Avis over somebody else purely to get those extra yeah, nine RVOs per pound. That, that's what I call the hyper-collection mindset. People who are willing to do something they wouldn't normally do if they think there's some mileage at the end of it. Yeah, now, I agree the, with the, that. The, the, the corollary of this is, how do you take these people and turn them into sustainable long-term customers? Because some of these people will just jump around from promo to promo, maximizing where they can. What, I mean, what, I always say to, what I always say to our advertisers is, we, we can bring you people, but... At the end of the day, you have to know how to take those people and how to develop them long-term as part of your customer base without offering them carrots every time they book. And that's a different skill set I think some people don't always have. You know, it's, it's very easy to basically buy customers by throwing mails at them, but you have to know what you do next. And who do you think does that well? Who do you th- where do you think there are examples where they get it right, as in they get the appeal, they, they've used the right channel, and then they've, they've gone on to make it work commercially? Yeah, for one I'm actually closest involved with is a company called Alan Boswell, which you probably haven't heard of, but it's an insurance broker, which offers Avios. And I, I know it works because we have an interesting commercial deal with Boswell, whereby we don't get paid to customers, but we get paid if they renew. And when they renew, they don't get an Avios bonus. So I, I know that a lot of people we send to Alan Boswell, whilst they may want the 10,000, 15,000 Avios sign-up bonus for their they do landlord insurance, quite a few niche insurance areas. They're actually, it's a British company, family run. It's got a Norwich-based call center, great customer feedback. And I know the people who go to them, initially for Viavios, do tend to stick around for a number of years afterwards. I know that because I get commission checks based on their renewals. So I think they do a good job. Um, we were talking about a certain finance company before we started this recording who are doing a bad job at the moment of retaining the customers they are accumulating at a very high cost through an Avios offer. It's, 
It's tricky. I mean, it's especially tricky with, with say, hotel booking services. You, know, you, you might see Rocket Miles coming out of a strong offer, or Hotels.com might offer double reward credits or some generous cashback incentive. But if you're selling a, you know, pretty much a vanilla product like a hotel room, which can be booked from multiple services, you know, those are the customers you're going to struggle to retain, frankly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, how, how else have you seen, Alan, the, the, some of the airlines doing it well or doing it badly? What do you think there's, there are, are there examples of, of strategies that the, that the programs can use to make sure that these, these things work? Yeah, it's, I mean, Rob was alluding to something that's going on in the marketplace at the moment. I think um, for me, you know, as we start to segment down the what we define as hyper collectors, um, I think one of the challenges 10, 15 years ago is we we're trying to figure out how do you get someone who is effectively, if we look at the high net worth segment or the, or the very, very high income segment, how do we get them to change their behavior? Because frankly, whether they're earning a lot of money now and at some point they'll lose it or whether they've, they've got family money, trying to get people with money to modify their behavior is really hard because even though there's some free stuff. Oh, I don't know. I've seen it, a lot of famous people on lists, Alan. <laughs> well, I'm gonna come, I, I can name you. I'm not going to name you here, but I know some very rich, famous people that are addicted to miles. Yeah. Well, and then there's the very rich people that, you know, you don't get rich by not taking up advantage, yeah. taking advantage of every other segment. Yeah. But the first segment, which is the segment that don't need the miles, yeah. turning them on um, was something that we focused a lot, you know, a lot on a little while ago. And what we found, though, is, you know, the best way to get the most out of any member, loyalty member, is to try and catch as much of their total spend, not just obviously their air spend, as possible. And the main vehicle to do that is to get them onto a co-brand. Because as we know, airline airline program, airline points distribution is very skewed towards co-brands. And so it was about how do we make it much easier for these very, very high value customers to be, for example, to get access to credit products. Now, the problem was, and still is, is that if you don't borrow money, because you don't need to, you don't have a credit rating, that'll give you some credit. So we found, we had to work with our bank partner to make sure that the scorecard and the and the approach to high value customers, I mean, I spent a lot of time on Express, so I sort of was lucky enough to have the benefit of that experience and how they do it. So how they underwrite effectively huge lines of credit with no data about the customer and what they do to do that. And so we helped, we helped our bank partner do that. And so... For me, a mistake is to not to apply the old the current rate card, the old way of doing it, to these potential high value hyper collectors, and um, that the effect of using large chunks of their own money to behave in a certain way and spend and changing that behaviour. And you know, and if you get that wrong, it absolutely backfires in terms of your reputation um, for both for the airline, frankly, the Lords program and the bank. Mm. Yeah, I mean. There is a misconception that high net worth people are not interested in this stuff. Now, the truth is, for high net worth people, this is real money you save. For, for your average collector, if they can get a business class flight, which would, is you know, three, four thousand pounds cash to pay for it, they wouldn't normally do that. It's a great treat, a nice splurge, but it's not cash. For people who can actually afford to pay cash, if you get four business class seats for your family to the Mauritius or the Maldives, you are really saving 15,000, pounds of cash. Mm. That's you know, 40, 45, 50,000 pounds of income before tax that person is saving. And, you know, even someone on, you know, half a million, three quarters of a million pounds a year, 
that's a very chunky bit of change they're saving. And, and people see the value there. It's also, the other thing is that a lot of high net worth people are, are self-employed people who built their own businesses. And these people generally have a different view to money than people who get money through their family or indeed from you know, banking or a hedge fund. Because they've they built it from the ground up, they know where every penny goes in their business, and you, you, you don't switch off. You don't switch off from your business where you watch every penny and you control it all to going home and suddenly flinging yeah, money around suddenly with, fling with, money with around. wild abandon. <laughs> yeah. you, you only have one mindset. And I get feedback from some of the banks we work with, and fundamentally, the best customers they get for them in terms of transaction value or, oddly enough, long-term stickiness are the ones they get from us. Mm. Because we did a promo recently with a small card company called Capital on Tap, which does SME credit cards. And the bonus face it up required £30,000 of card spending three months on a small business card. And we did a very, very aggressive number of applications for that over three, over three, three four weeks. So yeah, there's plenty of people there who think they can happily spend £30,000 in three months. No problem at all. You know, these people are very, very hard to find in the real world. Yeah, well, well, and to any other channel, and absolutely, a hundred percent. Now, I'd put something past you both because this is some experience I had, and um, Alan, you're going to have to forgive me because um, uh, anyway, you, you don't come out well on this. <laughs> I'm no surprise, I'll rephrase it, then we'll have a conversation about it. But this, um, this is about staff because we've we've talked about this before, Alan. That airline programs, particularly, are often run by people that never buy their own flights, let alone have a, a collection of Avios. Mm-hmm. And I found this a bit peculiar in that, in that, especially if you're thinking about hyper collectors, because I don't think. People who have who have had jobs in another part of an airline can get their heads around hyper collectors very quickly. The other thing is, is except where I said where where we had, and I'd rather have hyper collectors in the tent than outside the tent. And what I mean by inside the tent is when I was at Air Miles, we used to have they used to give part of your bonus every year as Air Miles, and you were actively encouraged to be a collector. And to your point, Rob, you were actually encouraged. You got bonuses if you collected at multiple partners, which meant that. At least two, and I know them by name, of the top 10 collectors in the whole of the program were two members of staff, which, which meant that you could go to, they knew, the, they knew everything about the programs and they were members of staff. And I often find that is not the case in programs where they, they either don't have the mindset or they don't have the history and the, and the, the I mean, what do you guys think of that? Uh, I agree. If you look at, say, what Mark Nazar has done at Aeroplan, you know, Mark and his team are, you know, they wouldn't mind me saying, you know, they were sort of complete mileage junkies, always have been. And they, they seem to get what is required. Um, I know when, when Gavin Halliday was running Avios, you know, Gavin really got it. Gavin was always a big collector. He still is a big collector, actually. I, I know Gavin socially. But then IEG tends to move people from other parts of the business. It's not necessarily sensible. Um, now, to be fair, there's also a lot of people in senior roles at IEG who never flown any airline apart from British Airways. <laughs> You know, it's very rare you go to any sort of IEG event. If you talk about Qatar Airways or Emirates, they've got no clue what it's like on board. It's just it's the mentality there. But I, I agree, you don't... You can, you can think you can break this down to spreadsheets and tables, and it's not like that. You know, a degree in psychology is probably better than a degree in maths when it comes to actually putting together a decent reward programme and 
understanding what's going to get people moving. Yeah, we said it's the art, there's art and science. I mean, that's another podcast that, in fact, that's my favourite podcast I've ever we've ever done before. And Alan, you're on that one as well. Yeah. The is is loyalty art or science? Because it really it's neither, and it's probably more art than science if we're honest about it. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so so just to finish up today, um, just a few tips. If you're giving tips to a program manager about how to make the most out of hyper collectors, who would like to go first in that? Alan, you've run a program. What would you what would you say? I mean, I, I, it's a theme throughout this, this whole call, but if I was going to give advice to, 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 to colleagues in the marketplace, it's when you think about how you supercharge the relationship with your hyper collectors, it's about engaging them not just in air, but in partners. And as we've said already, the king pin is the co-brand. Don't let your bank apply standard methods to those customers you need to ring fence those customers and they need to understand how to manage properly manage high net worth customers for banks high net worth customers are usually people that have lots of money and they and they um and it's about acquiring that money it's a completely different value proposition we're giving them access to our money for a bit and then they generally speaking pay it off in spades and don't tend to roll but treating them not like even if you think you understand if you're a big financial service incident, even if you think you understand premium customers because you've got a premium banking division and premium banking yeah. brands, you do not if you think they're exactly like any other credit card member. And all you do is completely and utterly destroy those super valuable relationships. Mm, absolutely. And uh, and Rob? I think there's a few elements to it. The first one is that hyper collectors are, for most businesses, a very attractive market segment in terms of income and demographics and be able to attract those people by throwing a few LRMLs or hotel points at them is an exceptionally good way of getting people in the door who would never bother with your product normally. There's two things to think about. You, you, the offer has to be generous enough to make a difference. There's no point going halfway on it. If you could do it, really push the boat out, make an effort, pull out an offer that these people can't refuse. But you need a, assuming that the offer is going to lose you money, you have to have a sensible plan for what you're going to do with these people once you've gone to try your service once. And if that means you have to put extra customer service resources into dealing with their initial orders, that there's someone out there who personally oversees their initial transactions to make sure you're delivering. Because if you cock it up, they're happy to go somewhere else. It's not an issue. And you have to consider yourself lucky if the customers will stick around after the incentive's gone away. It's not, a, these people won't just come for a one-off carrot and then necessarily stay with you. You have to work and really, really work to get them on side. And but but your ways, example with Adam, Alan Boswell absolutely demonstrated that that is possible and in fact it, it, it can pay back in spades. Yeah, because you know, the, these customers are just normal consumers at the end of the day. Hmm. It's, it'll help if you're the only customer in your sector offering rewards you know it's obviously if you're selling hotel rooms or something it's difficult in some ways it works better with companies in totally different niches where there is no competitor offering mileage rewards it it often helps sometimes if you're selling uh, products b2b businesses or something where the end user is not necessarily the person who pays the bill because then the value of the miles doesn't really come into it that much. Um, the other thing that's interesting about airline miles and why they're better than, say, nectar points is that 
a company can buy Avios generally for less money than they are valued at by the recipient. Now, this is very, very important. What it means is, for the same cost as you giving me £20 off your product, you can buy £20 of Avios points, which I as a customer might value at £30, £40. So even ignoring who's paying the bill for the product, £30, £40 of Avios, in my, in my mental valuation, is better than £20 off the product. And for you as the company, you're still paying £20 either way. That's where the real real magic comes here. And to your point, especially if they're going to fly, if they're going to be prepared to fly and pay for being at the front end of the plane, that's where the maximum value is. Yeah, exactly. Well, on that, I'd just like to say thank you very much to my guest today. So thank you very much, Rob Burgess. Thank you, Rob. Thanks, Ian. And uh, thank you, Alan. Thank you, Alan Lyers. Thank you, Ian. And thank you all for listening. If you like this podcast, please like, share or comment on LinkedIn using the hashtag TheLoyaltyPodcast. We look forward to your company again soon. Thank you and goodbye.